You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld, and my guest today is Rachel Dikas. Rachel's a social worker, designer, and founder of Social Workers Who Design. Rachel, welcome to the Rosenfeld Review. Thank you for having me. Rachel is one of these people that I learned about. Um, well, I learned about you through uh, your presentation at Civic Design 2021 last December. And uh, what I was going to say is you're one of these people who is at the intersection of really interesting things. And this is like, this is kind of what I live for and why I'm really interested in, in UX and all the related things, because there are so many related things and they keep intersection, intersecting, right? It's like this synthetic field that keeps touching on other fields and they kind of bump into each other and, and cool things happen. And I, I just find the people who plant themselves at those intersections to, to be really interesting and, and are doing the most interesting work. So no pressure, Rachel, but I wanted to talk about your particular intersection of social work and, and design. So, um, well, let me ask you this. Um, what, what is the intersection? So are, it's really three areas, I, as I recall from visiting your site, that you're, uh, you, you have a Venn diagram around. What are those? Yeah, for me, they have boiled down to these, these three main intersections and in how I practice, how I think about this work, um, and how I try to, um, you know, evolve it uh, in different, different ways. Uh, it's really centering on social work values, design research methods, and methodologies, and then trauma-informed, or sometimes I, I will say trauma-responsive, but trauma-informed care principles. And how can and how do the melding and integration of these three, how do they show up? Um, you know, one of the things that I often have told people is that uh, anything that I do in design, I am I'm really first seeing it through this lens as a social worker. Like it is, it used to be. I used to try to separate the two, and then I just I just gave up um, <laughs> trying to uh, suppress that and just embraced it at, because it is it is just a lens in which I see so much of the world at this point. So um, social work is, uh, as I learned from reading some of your materials, a care field, mm. and I yes. that makes perfect sense to me and people uh, who are. Um, you know, thinking about how to help others through uh, trauma. Obviously, that's that's a facet of care. I hadn't really thought of user experience design as a care field. But what else would it be, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we think about, think about the, all of the facets and the elements of engagement that happen through UX. Um, and then, and I would say just even broadly speaking through other elements of design, you know, the, the anthropological pieces, the, uh, building relationships, establishing rapport, um, hearing other people's stories, like, like, what does that mean? So we, we have these, you know, umbrella, uh, ways of doing and thinking about this work and how we apply it. And then there's the specific processes and ways in which we do that work. And I think that's where some of those really strong elements of care uh, start to unfold and show up and look like different things 
uh, to different people, especially depending on if they are approaching their work. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of thinking of some of the different uh, UX researchers I know who have strong backgrounds in psychology or strong backgrounds in anthropology. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're they're bringing these other disciplines. I mean, those are just two of many many examples, but they're bringing these other disciplines into how they approach that work. And I, I just think that's one of the it's one of the the beauties of elevating those elements of of care and um, and and really is all of the different trauma informed care principles. Like they they can show up. We can dial them up or dial them down in different ways. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, so we have the anthropologists who are um, jumping into this area and have been obviously for a long time and. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like about every other day I run into someone in the field with a the theater background. And then there's uh, a lot of theater. I think of someone like my, my wife, a, a longtime journalist who's now a UX writer, a lot of journalists jumping in. Um, and it's great. Every time a new uh, practice uh, joins up in this different kind of care field, I suppose, it, it does improve everything we do and, and it does help us show up in new ways. Um, Talk a little bit about the journey that you've been on. So you're now we're, we're maybe you're one of the first. I don't know, but we're going to probably see a lot of people from areas like social work who are joining in the design process and the research process in one way or another. How did you get here? Yeah. Oh, it's it's, uh, it's always such a good question, and I I, I probably answer this in different uh, in a variety of ways depending on the context and like how, like how far back do I go? <laughs> do you go back to <laughs> childhood? Do you go back to you know your college days? Um, and I'll maybe I'll start somewhere uh, you know in the middle. Um, you know I I decided to pursue social work um, after having this really unique and monumental experience as a delegate at the United Nations. And it was back in 2006. I um, just a very like rare and unique opportunity to be one of a a small number of people who were, um, who were just part of some very specific work around, you know, health and human rights. And while I was there, I, I just realized the, the size of the world and the what felt like at the time a relatively small number of people who were making very big decisions on 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 serious and complex matters that were going to impact you know billions of people around the world. And so I came back home and and thought I like how do I do more of this work? How do I how do I pursue this on a on a deeper level in a in a broader way? Um, and just at the time, I think there was uh, such a such a, a, a push, um, you know, that was this inherent push that if you want to do this this kind of work, if you want to do field work that is in this human rights space, you just absolutely had to have at least a graduate degree, so something at the master's level. And so I come back and I'm just like kind of weighing these different options of like, what do I, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to get a master's of public policy? Do I want to go back to school and maybe get a law degree? Uh, I was just I was just really considering what might be a good uh, path or a route for me. And I had a friend and colleague at the time who said uh, that I should really look into this master of social social work program because there's a track that is tailored towards people who want to do macro practice. Mm. 
Um, and I, I very distinctly remember saying like, oh, no, 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 like I absolutely have no desire or no interest in ever being a social worker. I, I do not want to do that. And, it, and I mentioned that because I had a, a limited view of what a social worker could do. And uh, this, this friend did not, she just didn't let up on it. So she, you know, back then when you would have actual brochures about programs and whatnot, when she comes back to me, she said, I, I just think that you should meet with this person. You should meet with Steve Anderson, who is now the Dean of the School of Social Work where I got my MSW, but he was the person who started the, this macro specialization on advocacy, leadership and social change. Like all things that I had just been doing or I had been doing for years in the nonprofit sector. So I, uh, I said, well, you know, all right, you know, fine. Like, you know, I'll, I'll meet with this person and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see what he has to say, you know, kind of you know, having whatever, um, you know, early thirties arrogance that I might've had at the time. And I just shared with him in the most like honest and open and, and authentic way that this is work that I've been doing, that I had worked for a small nonprofit working on abolition of the death penalty that I had worked on, you know, women's rights and student leadership and advocacy, and that I had just had this, this, you know, wild and you know, monumental experience at the United Nations. And he just, he just, the look on his face, I couldn't, I couldn't tell then if he, if he was just like, you know, get this person out of my office. He, but he, but he paused and he said, you are precisely the type of student that we are looking for for this particular track mm. because you have life experience you have work experience you're dedicated to these issues and to these causes and i just that conversation i was i was hooked i i thought well i have to apply to this program i uh, and it was the only program i applied to i didn't look at other social work programs around the country and i just uh, i just i just really gave it gave it my all and and committed to to allowing that program to be this vehicle that would open up this very unknown world of other opportunities. I mean, I, I really had no idea where this might lead me. Um, I didn't have any type of anticipation or, or even interest. I didn't even know that I had an interest in maybe pursuing work at the federal government or even deepening this work within design. I mean, it was just, uh, it, it, I just, I think about the, that I think about that friend who just kept pressing this issue with me. And then that meeting that I had with this now, you know, Dean of the School of Social Work that, that literally changed my life. I mean, it set me on a completely different course that I never could have predicted. Wow. And so you, you go down that path, you get your master's degree in social work and, um, and then you find yourself in a position where you are being pulled toward design somehow. <laughs> Tell us yeah, about that. It probably, it probably seems like, you know, how, how did that, how, how did that occur? Um, well, it was while, it was while I was pursuing the MSW program. This is a story I'd love telling because it's a, because it's another person that has just been uh, such a, such a figure in this work for me. Um, but I, I, it was probably 2009. I started pursuing my MSW in 2008, graduated in 2010, but it was 2009. I, uh, my, my, um, 
think he was my husband. He was my spouse at the time, but we were at a, a farm to table dinner and there was this woman that just, she just looked cool. I, I have no other way to, you know, no other like Well, she's a UX person. Way. We all look cool. Yeah. <laughs> but she just, especially. I was like, I was like I was like, oh, she's got brown hair. She was very smiley. She just had an energy. She, she, I, I could, I could just feel this animated presence in her. And um, she had cool glasses. And I just thought, like, you know, who, like, who, who is this person? I kept looking at her, wondering if I knew her from something. And I, and I totally didn't. But we end up walking around, you know, the grounds of this farm-to-table dinner. And her name's Maya Brooke, uh, and she is, of course, a designer. <laughs> and we strike up this conversation, and within literally a matter of minutes—I mean, literally a matter of minutes—we, we, you know, she shares that she had started this organization called the Champagne Urbana Design Org, and that she really wanted to gather all the different creatives and designers in the community to give back to the nonprofit, you know community and to help them with their website and a new logo and, and various like marketing materials. And she said, but we're having a hard time like identifying like someone who like understands design, but also understands the local nonprofit world. And I was just, I thought like, is this like divine intervention? Like, what is this that is happening? I said, well, I know the local nonprofit world. I, I, I've been working in that sector for the past, you know, like decade. And and so I got really involved with the Champagne Urbana design work. And we did a couple of these events. We did a lot of different community engagement events around design. And so for those who are who are actively designers and practicing designers, but also those who were just like designed fans, like that's what I would have called myself back then. But I did, I was very involved with that um, organization at the community level, joined the board for a number of years while I was working on my MSW. And the the thing where I started to see this this next wave of, of okay how can how how and where and why and how do these do these things um, intersect for me as a social worker and as this uh, someone who is just a super huge like design fan and it came down to the way that we would do these um, we called them like you know a whole day like design charrette and design a thon where we're working with these nonprofit leaders and the individuals who are utilizing these nonprofits. And I was this, I was like a translator. Mm -hmm. I was, the, I was the bridge and the connector because I could, I knew about just the, the ins and outs and the worries and the various things that you're concerned about as a nonprofit leader um, and as a participant. And then also, but I knew enough of the design language to be able to like serve as a translator to help convey those concepts. And I just, I mean, I, I, I just loved it. I mean, I felt like I was, I felt like I was useful. I felt I, it was energizing. Um, and I just wanted, I just wanted more of that in my life. And so the, the biggest outlet for that was really being involved with KUDO on a local level and then trying to find these very explicit opportunities to bring some of that love and appreciation of design into the work that I was doing as a social worker at Veterans Affairs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so kind of this, uh, you know, a, a hard thing to, um, to make happen, uh, because you know, we weren't as a social worker, I'm, I'm really, I was neck deep in the actual practice and the, and the, the service of helping people, um, where yes, many, many um, elements of design are present, but we just did, we didn't explicitly talk about it that way. 
Well, it doesn't surprise me that translation was a, a word you brought up as, mm. a, as a skill or a, a, a characteristic or quality that you brought to, in this case, an intersection, right? I mean, that seems to be what often happens, especially for people who are kind of plumbing uh, new areas or, or ex, uh, exploring new areas of, of intersection between, in this case, design and, and social work. There is some need for translation. I'll just gripe for a moment and say I don't understand why we don't emphasize our role in translation between existing practices or functions or what have you, or even fields. Uh, it just seems like that's, that is, it, it, maybe we take it for granted, but anyway, this is not uh, a, a podcast about me griping. It's a podcast uh, about you talking. We're going to come back to you talking after the break. Where um, let's get into some of the um, actual principles that unite these two areas at the intersection, and and uh, how um, uh, designers can really take advantage of uh, what social workers already know uh, to do a better job in their own work. So we'll take a break right now. We'll be right back. Hey, I want to tell you about our next conference, Advancing Research 2022. It's coming up March 9th through 11th. It is going to be virtual. And uh, this is going to be the third edition of Advancing Research. We started it up back in 2020 because we saw a lot of trends that um, are taking research in new directions and had converged, ranging from the democratization of research to researchers getting a more uh, strategic uh, role, a seat at the table to uh, different research uh, fields starting to converge, on and on and on. That's what the conference has been about. We've really been trying to push research forward, and we're going to do it again. March 9th through 11th, it's going to be virtual this year, and we have a great virtual format. Um, I think if you talk to people who know our conferences, if you haven't already, uh, don't ask me. Ask them what they thought. Anyway, I hope we'll see you at Advancing Research 2022, March 9th through 11th. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Uh, I'm Lou Rosenfeld. My guest today is Rachel Dekas, social worker, designer, founder of Social Workers Who Design. I didn't mention earlier somehow that Rachel's also a panelist at Advancing Research 2022. That is the third edition of a conference Rosenfeld Media launched three years ago, obviously. And um, she is participating in a panel led by Matt Bernius of Code for America called Learnings from Applying Trauma-Informed Principles to the Research Process. And it's really a great panel. Matt, uh, Rachel, Alba Villamil from Humanity Centered and Aditi Joshi, also from Code for America. And uh, that's a good lead into what I think we should get into now, which is talking about how social work and trauma-informed principles can be utilized by researchers. And I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of uh, um, design uh, and research goodness that helps uh, social workers. But I think our audience is primarily the, the, the folks who need to learn from your home territory of, of social work. So. How, how do these things come together? Hmm. Well, I, I think one of the ways that one of the earlier ways, you know, a handful of years ago that I would talk about this work and and I was really I felt like I was trying to convince social workers that we need to be embracing 
design and design principles and you know why aren't we doing this in social work uh, which is which is funny because so much of my focus now is is really in predominantly design spaces but i would talk about how um you know a couple different things one is that you know social workers often see the impact of bad design and bad policies and that's a that's a quote from a fellow social worker and ux researcher lindsay cochran and she she said this in a piece that she wrote a few years ago that um that really just illuminated that designers are you know generally speaking are on this side of you know creation and problem solving but social workers are <laughs> are more often than not, um, are reacting to designed problems and systems that have been sometimes poorly designed or policies that are not holistic and are not, um, and, and need to be redesigned. Mm -hmm. And I, I think just, just when you, when you size up the two disciplines, you know, you can see where there are these similarities, of course, around, um, areas around like relationship building, rapport building, empathy and compassion. Like, absolutely. It's like social work, social workers can learn from designers and designers can learn from social workers and how we each approach that. Um, but when it comes to some of these, what, what, you know, a, a friend and colleague, um, uh, Jerry Scullion in uh, the UK, like talks about, you know, he, he talks about these, the, the complexity, the serious and complex complex situations that we are often facing as designers and how we might not always have the skills or the um, education or the preparation to really navigate some of those challenges like we can do that yes of course from a design mm -hmm. lens and from a design perspective but what happens when things go wrong in design what happens when um, designers themselves may be experiencing secondary or vicarious trauma or burnout from organizational trauma or our participants uh, that we are inviting into these processes with us that um, like how do we navigate and maneuver through these the, the high potential for harm to potentially be caused by the way that we do design. Mm -hmm. So there, there are a lot of different ways to think about it. Um, the, you know, one of the things that we were talking about uh, just, you know, in this this morning as part of our preparation for the panel at, at the Advancing Research Conference was, you know, we don't want to just like we as this like collective that will be talking much more in depth about this. We don't want to talk about, you know, how and why we need to be trauma-informed at participants. Like it, it goes far beyond that. And it would be a disservice to just be talking about that transactional aspect of how we can, how we can be, or how we could be, or should be trauma-informed in mm -hmm. this work. Like we really need to embrace those principles, maybe adapt and reimagine those principles, you know, for design and for us as designers. Like, but what does that mean? You know, like I, I have, a number of ideas of what that what that means to me as a social worker and, and as a designer and i've had i've just at this point hundreds of conversations with designers and social workers like around the world about what that what that how that's troubling to them because it isn't being discussed and because they don't have that literacy around trauma yet to really um go deeper on these concepts and on these principles so can you, yeah, let, let, sure, Lou, in like 30 seconds, uh, I'm sure Rachel can summarize the whole thing. 
but can you give us an example at least of um, a, um, uh, a an area where um, having that liter well give us an example of that literacy maybe that would be the best thing to to start with because it sounds like yeah. there's there's so much and we're all living through uh, this horrible crash course and in, in trauma on top of the normal stuff this last two years. Uh, yeah. So, you know, can you can you fill it in a little bit for us? Yeah. So let's let's just look at the it's it's the first, and it's not meant to be the most important in terms of being first, but it's just the the first principle in trauma informed care principles that were created by you know the CDC and the Sub- Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration um, here in the U.S. And the first one is safety. And so I think about think about what does it mean to feel safe, to be safe, to ensure safety for everyone who is involved in the design research process. So not just the interviews that we conduct, not just the way that we ask questions or you know, ensuring that we are not being extractive and manipulative and how we're doing interviews. I, I really feel like it is, it's that it's that entire continuum. So if we look at what are the, the preconditions that need to exist either as a team or as a project, as part of that process at the organizational level, there are a lot of different ways that you can slice and dice this. But what are those preconditions that we might need in order to even be or become trauma-informed? Mm-hmm. And then what are we, and, the, and we'll get into this in the in the panel, but what are those things that we can do after the the research has maybe been done where we're writing up our report, we're synthesizing our information, um, how do we honor people's reality? How do we include them in that process to maybe have them review what we are going to write um, to ensure that it is accurate and that it is honest and it's authentically represented in the way that they want it to be represented? So that's just that's just that's one particular way. A more specific example of this, I would say, is and it's this idea that I've been thinking around. Um, that comes from social work practice, but this notion of a safety plan. Mm-hmm. So when I worked at Veterans Affairs, um, whether a veteran needed a safety plan or not, every single veteran had a safety plan. So like, you didn't have to be in crisis in order to have a safety plan. And so I, I, I think about that a lot in, a con- in the context of design, like what would it look like if everyone who was part of this process, so this research, this interview, this fill in the blank thing that we're doing, the step in what we're doing. Like, what would it look like if we all had a safety plan? Hmm. And and what and what does that mean? Because what that might mean to you, Lou, is, is likely going to mean something very different to me. Um, and there are a lot of different variables and characteristics of that. But, you know, do we talk about that? Do we talk about that as part of the work that we do? And I think it's a it'd be a missed opportunity to not include us as part of that process in addition to you know trying to center or center all of our participants as well hmm. so can you um talk a little bit more about the idea of the safety plan because i can see mm-hmm. it in the context of you know working with uh people you're doing research with directly um, and I know you, you've done some work through the VA with, uh, with veterans who are homeless and helping them uh, receive health care. Uh, I, I can certainly see in that, that population that's like a really important concept because it's so fraught that the idea of safety is maybe not even 
possible for many of them, unfortunately. Um, do you see taking something like like the concept of a safety plan to like a more quote conventional design context, like uh, uh, Startup X is creating a new app uh, for such and such? Do does the safety plan apply uh, for the users of that app? I would say I would say yes, and I think there there are two different ways that 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 I'm thinking about and how and how we could create something or or react to that. One could be, um, are we are we operating and doing this work from a foundation of committing to doing no harm? So that's one. That's mm-hmm. one way. Another way to I think to sort of think about that a similar concept along that along that line is how do we how how do we or how will we assess for risk while we are building this thing or doing this um you know trying to solve or resolve this problem or build something new so because it could be a, a program it could be a policy it doesn't always have to be a tangible like you know good or item i really feel like it, I, I can i can see where it could apply in any single kind of a context um you know i'm thinking about a question that someone recently asked after a after a, a talk that i gave that said uh said uh the scenario was was interesting they said you know i, I like i work in like i work in finance uh you know as a U as a service designer and i just don't see where like trauma like would would come up at all in that context you know like how could i even put you know potentially apply any of these things to what i'm doing and so, you know, of course, like my social work brain is saying like, you know, like there's absolutely trauma in finance, like, you know, what, like, <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to bring in some social workers for you to talk with. But I said, well, let's just, let's just assume, you know, for the sake of, uh, you know, discussion, let's just assume that there, that there isn't in the explicit work that you're doing or the way that you're going to be conducting your design work. What if you take a lens that is more along the lines of, what about my my what about my colleague or my peer mm-hmm. who was part of this project who was part of this work what if there is something that has nothing to do with our work at hand that is something that they might be struggling with uh, that we may or may not know about you know that people may show up with these things and we all we all carry all kinds of things with us all day long that that sometimes are are much bigger and overwhelming and other times we're able to you know kind of contain it if you will um, but I, you know, my my response was um, was really along these lines of, if you're if you're working with humans, and most of us are, you're primarily working with other people. Like you are most certainly working with trauma, whether it is present and obvious, you know, in a day to day. So so what would it look like? So again, kind of like digging a little bit deeper. What would it look like if we just assumed that? everyone is probably dealing with something it doesn't necessarily have to be trauma but what if what if we're all in recovery from mm-hmm. something you know i mean what what would it what would it look like for us to show up in a different way and in a different capacity as a designer and how how could i be you know present and supportive and again bringing in all these different social work values into that work with that understanding that maybe the the work that someone is doing or the participant that we have as part of this work, maybe they're, maybe they're doing their absolute best and, 
and that's okay. Like, but how do we, how do we accept that? And, but then also look for these signs and these clues as to what that might look like in the actual work and how we can respond in a compassionate way that is trauma-informed. You know, it's really interesting for me to hear this because, and this may just be my own personal um, misunderstanding of what social work really is, but I I think of social work uh, as something associated with treatment and maybe in the healthcare system in the United States, it often is, uh, you know, where social workers are brought in to help people who need help at a particular moment when they may already have or be experiencing trauma. But what I, part of what I hear you saying, not all, but part of it in terms of the intersection of social work and design is, is almost as a preventive measure to at least contain and uh, maybe identify potential uh, unintended consequences of the design work. And that's interesting. So um, you mentioned policy before and policy, as I'm learning from one of our soon-to-be authors, Alex Schmidt, who's writing a book on design and policy, it's just interesting how we as designers can kind of like get, uh, find, try to claw our ways earlier, earlier into the process uh, of at least understanding, um, if not being involved with how policies developed and how that impacts design and therefore impacts people. Yes. And I think it's similar. I think what you're saying that, you know, if we um, want to truly um, design in ways that are going to prevent trauma, we have to get, um, we have to make sure we're involved earlier and Mm -hmm. with better tools and social work provides us with some better tools that will help it become more preventive than, you know, okay, now our designs have created all these horrible problems. Now what? I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that because it, it really makes me think of systems thinking, mm-hmm. systems redesign. I mean, those were, those were huge concepts within the work that I did at Veterans Affairs. You know, I, I, I started there at a, at a time when there was a huge initiative to have a systems redesign coordinator at every single facility around the country. And, and the opportunity to get to work on some of those projects and to get the training on, you know, Lean Six Sigma. I mean, again, very similar things that mm-hmm. are like right up against a lot of the, the design concepts and methods that we use. And that just that that appreciation and understanding of, of systems and of complexity, of incrementalism, like how do we how do we really truly shift and change things both from the inside, but also adjacently on the outside? And then when are there times when some systems that have been built are, are just need to be gone and we need to build new ones. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's just, there's so much opportunity for social workers and designers to be working literally alongside each other or to be integrating these things um, with one another to approach these things. And that's one of the other things that I really have appreciated seeing um, and that I try to bring in in different ways in, in my own work around trauma-informed design because I really think that it's it, it's you know yes are there are there small ways that you can practice this absolutely you know there are small behavior changes that we can do you know literally right, right now or tomorrow or you know next week um, but I I think if you really want to commit to this new way of doing design 
it takes bringing in not just other disciplines like social work, because that's what it is for me, mm-hmm. but what are other ways of understanding the world? And for me, a lot of that comes down to uh, understanding systems, you know, and reflecting on where have you been part of systems that are interacting with other systems and potentially causing harm or influencing how another system might uh, be you know, have have a lack of resources and be unable to do the work that it might need to do. I mean, it, it's it's where the work can really mushroom very quickly. <laughs> so it's good to have a, a focus if you can within that. Um, but I, it's just, that's one of the things that, that I think is, that I appreciate as a macro social worker, because I might not have mm-hmm. necessarily learned that if I had just gone the deep clinical route, even though I have my clinical licensure at this point and, and have maintained it and can, and will continue to maintain it. You know, I, I didn't take any clinical classes outside of my foundational training. It was really uh, looking at systems and policy and programs and how do we evaluate those programs and how are we going to change these programs? How do you advocate for people? What's the history of advocacy in, in the United States? I mean, so then when I get thrown into a very deeply clinical environment like VA, um, I, I knew I had to find a way to make sense of both of these ways of approaching social work, which then just, I feel like, you know, looking back, it just, it strengthened that, that tenacity and that interest that I had when it came to design. Well, um, you know, you, you know, I, it's going to be really interesting to see in the coming few years the, I'm guessing your trailblazer, there's going to be more social workers joining the field and boy, we need them. So thank you for helping open that door. Um, we have to wrap, unfortunately. Um, but before we do in the, uh, the tradition of the Rosenfeld review, I'd love to know what you're reading or whom you're following that you believe, uh, there's a little bit of extra sunlight. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things like you can't, you can't see it uh, as you're listening to the podcast and you can't see it, Lou, but I'm just surrounded by both design and social work books. Um, but I would say if there's, if there's one thing, and I've mentioned this almost every single time I talk, but there is this paper that Tad Hirsch, a professor at Northeastern University wrote two years ago at this point called, um, practicing without a license design research as psychotherapy. And I just feel like this, that that paper really speaks to all these different things that we've been talking about today, things that we'll be talking about, you know, at the actual conference, and then things that I will definitely continue to develop and and uh, and, and share with others. So it, it's uh, it's free, it's accessible. A lot of academic papers sometimes are behind a paywall. This one is not. We'll make sure um, we include a link. Yeah, yeah. I. That that to me is like is just it's just a it, it sets the stage for talking about trauma informed design research. Fantastic. Well, uh, it, that's a great background, but uh, uh, you could do that, and you could attend uh, Advancing Research twenty twenty two and hear from and talk directly with Rachel Dikas. Uh, she's going to be part of a panel, Learnings from Applying Trauma-Informed Principles to the Research Process, along with Matt Bernius, Aditi Joshi, and Alba Villamil. On March 10th, the conference itself runs March 9th through 11th. It is virtual. Uh, take it or leave it. It's the, the time we live in. <laughs> I will say at least <laughs> as much as we miss having uh, meetings in person, uh, we feel like uh, our virtual format has been pretty strong and, and people seem to enjoy it. 
and we certainly enjoyed having you both at Civic Design 2021, Rachel, and on the podcast today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next month at Advancing Research. Thank you so much, Lou. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.